there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. True from Salah Saudi to Ben Dolgan. That's the riff effect, <laughs> That's the riff effect. That is a real riff Just get us out of the group, Ben. <laughs> That's an interesting ripple. Now, I like that. That's actually, I hear it. When that Ozil signing happened, it was like... Also, keep an eye on players that spend too long in the under-21s for England. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's 300 million. Mo Salah, take it or leave it now. Liverpool's stupid if they say no. It's a bit of a dirty tactic for me. I'm of like, course. Someone's making some serious bank I, I on deadline so. day. Let's just get to the deal, though, shall we? Deadline Day can be all-encompassing in the emotions it brings out. From last-minute marquee signings to disappointment to relief, Deadline Day can produce anything, from your best player leaving at the death to a reporter getting a dildo shoved in his face. Can you guess which fans did that? It was Everton fans. Shame on you or respect to you? I don't know. I haven't decided yet. And it's all been downhill since then, so maybe karma's got you. It's all—it's almost been—it's <laughs> almost been flaccid, hasn't it, guys? Uh, in this episode, we'll be looking at the historical events of Deadline Day and the chaos it brought, but also what will this year's Deadline Day hold for all the clubs who've left it late? Spoiler alert: It looks like there's going to be a dogfight amongst a lot of Premier League clubs this time around. Fuad Kadani joins me once again. If you haven't checked out the first episode, make sure you do. We were spending Harry Kane's money. Yeah. It was delightful, wasn't it? It was enjoyable. We've Love decided Je- we need to get Jesse Lingard and Deli Alley in the whoa, same whoa, team. Whoa, 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 Sorry, whoa, whoa. I decided that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't want to co sign that, do you? <laughs> no. Uh, it was really good. Really interesting. Gone through that a was. few players there. Uh, so go check that out if you haven't listened to it. And if you haven't followed the podcast, please do move your thumb, I presume. It'll probably be your right thumb. And just follow us and give us a five star rating on Spotify because it massively helps my career. So, <laughs> first of all, I'd like to start nice and open. Mm-hmm. Fuad, how do you feel about Deadline Day broadly? Are you a Deadline Day guy? Are you a transfer guy, actually? Let's go in broad. I'm not a transfer guy. See, I'm not really a transfer guy. <laughs> yeah. Stick I, around, guys. It's, it's, it's too much chaos, too much rumors, too much pursuing interested yeah. rumored There's in talks with going on, and it's it? like ugh, can we just get to the meat and bones like but deadline day i'm i'm a bit more of a fan of i'll be because there is a deadline There's, yeah we're going somewhere it, it almost feels like this is when the theater the crescendo moment is happening now but i'll be honest with you i feel like over the last few years the the fun has been taken out of it where as you said once upon a time we had dildos in his yeah. we had um <laughs> we had we had all sorts honestly happening on the deadline day it was it felt like an event that you had to be there sitting in front of your tv as every nonsense it was wasn't deal. it you were watching it all all the time all the time i think that's interesting like the because we're going to talk about a few of the some of the best best moments and the ripple effects that came from them and that the, some of them are absolutely fascinating actually yeah. one in particular occurs to a manager uh, in 2011, but he actually it makes him lose his job. But he actually isn't in that job until 2012. Mm-hmm. So stick around for that little tease there. For but the mechanics of transfers has changed so much, hasn't yeah. it? Like I was talk, I won't say who, but I was chatting to someone about you know about yeah the landscape of it all of transfers and things like that, and they were saying about Sky Sports News, and they were saying that. Why didn't Sky Sports News just go and get David Ornstein, say, how much do you want? Yeah. And get him and make him the guy because he has so much information. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And and whereas previously it was 
BBC's transfer gossip column or Sky Sports News mm-hmm. because these reporters were, you know, truly in the know. And and to be fair, they I like I've worked with them and, and they are like they know so much. It's amazing. Yeah. But there are these two kingpins in Romano and David Ornstein, and they know so so much. And so I've, those are the guys we go to now, right? Literally. And because we've all follow them on social media, we all have the notifications turned on as and when they happen. And they're not even telling you when the deal is done. They're telling you, here we go, when the fee is agreed. So yeah. it's like, I don't even need to check Sky Sports anymore. I don't need to sit there on deadline day. Fabrizio is just going to spoon feed me all of this all throughout. I know the Felix transfer is going to happen two weeks before Sky announces it. It's, it almost feels like now when the the main broadcasters tell it, you're just almost like, oh, well, you're just finding thing. out now. We're, we but, I mean, they're this. not. But like, it, it, that's the problem that they've got is that unless they can truly confirm it with their sources, then they can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, that makes life very, very difficult. But that's where what you said, getting on that one day, getting an Ornstein, getting a Fabrizio, maybe even get both. Imagine all the eyes you could get just for that one day. If you got both in the same room, you said the ultimate transfer shot. Do you know why it's not there anymore? Yeah. There's there's time for a new king. Again, this is probably something that's worth kind of revealing. And it's something I have to like, before we start recording, you were saying how like I'm sort of like the first in that first wave, yeah. and and it does you know it feels like like been lucky enough to have a lot of you guys on to uh, in terms of this second wave, if you want to call it that. Hopefully, I'm not finished, guys. OG, OG, yeah, yeah, still it's good, it's all good. <laughs> trusted, trusted, sort of. Um, but th- something that I've had to deal with in, in terms of my ambitions. Yeah, my ambitions were very clearly driven towards TV and and things like that, and and. I still like I'm desperate to that's still something that's a you know bit of black mark on, on my career is that I want to be there in the ground talking to you then mm-hmm. like I want I've always wanted to share I've always had this dream of like when it is the World Cup final and it comes to me and I go look guys we're here yeah like I want to be that guy yeah. and um so that's a difficult thing to to get your head around when the landscape changes so much so like you say that the problem I'm probably being naive in terms of that, like an Ornstein or a Romano, like in terms of getting that deal done yeah. to get them into Sky Sports because it is gonna, I'm guessing it, cost it's gonna cost so much, right? It's gonna amounts, cost so much yeah. because Romano could do something on his own channel, get a Heineken, mm-hmm. and again, I don't know anything by the way before I get in trouble, get, uh, get a brand to like sponsor it. Sponsor and it's all yours now. Yeah. And so getting your head like around that is always a really interesting, difficult and, one. And I think that's what you said there is so true. For a lot of people who came in that kind of almost like first wave, the pinnacle was to end up on Sky Sports or uh, or, or Satanta back then, if you like. And it was, you know, as long as I'm a talking face talking about football, but I feel like the internet and everything and social media has changed that so much now. You, As you said, you can almost create your own platform like a Fabrizio has done. And it's like... No, now they need me and yeah. you will come direct to me. And so it's, it's almost cut out that middleman of TV, if you like, where it's kind of direct to consumer. I mean, even this, like... Sure, yeah, 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 this, totally. like, It's like people just come straight to you mm. rather than thinking, oh, do you know what, to get a 10-minute James, I hear him at the back end of Football Focus. No, yeah, whole, whole podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean? so. yeah, yeah. But again, another thing we were talking about before is like, surely people get sick of my voice. But what, <laughs> I would, yeah, you're right, though, because I've kind of let that go a bit mm-hmm. because... I kind of see the future as like my channel is a TV channel. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to kind of get to, like, and to I kind think of keep for, up with for it. For me, almost like ha- coming into this space almost after you, I think my vision was a little bit different. I was like, I think those guys, it's almost like, not to say they're dinosaurs, but that's not the future anymore. Now the internet is the future and it's all about how big can you create your own platform. Yeah. Now, now it's about collaborating with actual people who you enjoy doing work with and that's how and you it's so easy. Like it's so it's great. So it's easier. so easy. Yeah. It's amazing. That's what's been. That's what I was so excited about with this podcast. Sorry, we're going off on tangents. Here. But it's my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the benefit. Yeah, go across what's Yeah, that's the whole. That's what I kind of wanted from from this podcast was the opportunity to sit down with people and have more. Sorry, yeah. have more conversations to to kind of go and do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, another thing I saw the other day, and I, I was chatting to someone about this before. You. What now as a as a YouTube channel? You, who is it? I think it's Paddy Galloway, who's amazing. If you want to get into YouTube and be good at YouTube, he's a great guy to to, to watch and listen to. But he put a tweet out saying, "You should see your channel. You shouldn't see yourself as a creator anymore. You should see your channel as a business." Mm-hmm. And 
once you kind of do that, you do start to look at it. Yeah. So differently. Anyway, I think I think sometimes like, it's steps because sometimes it's um. You yeah. see yourself as a creator first, then as you that's start true. to grow a bit that's of growth, you're point. starting to think, you know what, now it's becoming a business. Because I, I know where he's at. That's kind of where I'm at now, yeah, where yeah. I'm like, do you know what? I do need to turn my YouTube and things into like an actual infrastructure, if you like. Se- yeah, a business. Yeah, yeah, exactly so the same. I, fully agree, I think yeah. that's kind of like with some of the things I've been doing recently, that's the idea is to kind of, oh, there's only so much I can do as a creator. But yeah. if this becomes a channel with the right ethos yeah. and people will just align with that, then you can yeah, you can expand it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um but I do think that makes it difficult for these guys reporting um day and day out. But it was it was a great time. Yeah. And we'll get so let's yeah. actually I'm gonna skip let's get straight to the dildo. Come on. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the I, I said this the other day, I was like, it's so Finn edits it. Memory, we always it? have this. No, but we always have this like teaser at the start of the podcast. And there are certain lines I say during the person going, that's in, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and me whispering, just know it. <laughs> let's just get to the dildo, shall we? <laughs> that's in. Okay. Everton dildo incident, it says here. The ripple. Let me not talk about that. Forget it. The, the Everton dildo incident of 2015. Long time ago. Has ruined deadline day. Soon that will be a te- we'll have to do a decade podcast on that one when it comes mm. around the dildo incident is the action that caused reporters to now be away from fans despite that being the best part about deadline day one of the greatest deadline day moments of all time is when Meza Ozil signed for Arsenal 30 minutes before deadline remember this and the fans were going absolutely berserk behind the reporter um, and credit to Alan Irwin, by the way, who doesn't even lose track of what he's saying at the time. But it is amazing. I'm looking at a screenshot like right now. Yeah. That like the faces and the screaming. Incredible. But Listen. it was it was a simpler time, I think. And I think it, initially it was like, oh great, we can be part of it. But then inevitably with these things, you'll have someone who'll take it a little bit. You gotta remember this this was when social media was just starting to bubble and everything. Yeah. It's like viral clips were just going off. So I think Getting your face on TV was almost like, oh yeah, I'm behind the Sky Sports presenter. Then the monster just started to evolve year by year. But I remember when Arshavin got announced was another one as well. That was crazy at the airport. Van der Vaart was another one I remember. But deadline day was almost you felt like a theatre. Did feel it felt so much more like detective work and actually that atmosphere of having people there. I think they should go back to it. Don't be like maybe you could get maybe you need a security guy with each person, but like. And I know it's difficult, but, you know, Robbie does it every week. He's able to, like, have, you know, he has his moments here and there. I think now people well-measured. I think now we're used to social media. We're used to seeing our faces out there. I definitely think they should bring it back. It's definitely a bit too stale at the moment. I don't totally trust the public. Like, I think there will be, there'll be someone <laughs> who's got a channel who's trying to get something going. Like, Nico's on that. <laughs> yeah. really? Nico's on you that. You know what? You've just given him an idea. <laughs> well, I think, actually, I think Will, I think Will's done this, actually. I think Will and E, like, did that to try and get in the shot of, like, subscribe to Will oh. and E, like, in the background. I've got someone to do it. So, that's the problem that you kind of have with it. Yeah. But I think, again, interestingly, there might be something, I wouldn't be surprised if they did this, is, like, have an audience at these places, but let it be you know, uh, YouTube channels or podcasts yeah. or whatever, because then you could have like, that's a great way of, a there discussion. you go, guys. Yeah. You can have some discussion there, which mm. would be interesting. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> I'll just look at another screenshot of the other one there. I mean, there's not that much to say about it. I'll be honest. I just kind of miss it. I mean, it was, it was the beginning of the end, should we say? Yeah. It was the beginning of the end of the, the circus show, should we say? And I think everybody kind of enjoyed that circus. So it, it was, and the thing was, it was almost like the peak of it. Everyone was like, What? What's coming next? Yeah. That's the end. But, but I think that, that detective work, it did feel like you're watching it. Like, you know, it's like sort of that OJ Simpson, like car chase. Yeah. Like they're just like <laughs> following whoever it was and they're trying to kind of get And there. you know what was? They had one man at every ground. Yeah. That was the beauty of it. It yeah. was like, boom. Oh, we just had something come in. Sunderland. Anything happening? They go to him. But it would It was a buzz, wasn't it? I think they need to. There needs to be a way to try. It's tough, isn't it? But they need to try a way to get back to that. After the Ronaldo interview last year, when he said the gym is still the same, the 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 kitchens are still the same, the start, the fax machine is probably still there. Rog was a victim of Suarez's success, and it bit him in the arse. Haven't it? That's an interesting ripple. Now I like that. That's actually I hear it. Let's talk about other elements at play. 
back in the day. Mm-hmm. And as I say, we're going to give you some sort of uh, have some modern talking points as well when it comes to this. David De Gea and Man United's dodgy fax machine. So mm-hmm. Liverpool fans, listen up, because you would have had at least one more Champions League if Man United's fax machine hadn't have magically broken down. So David De Gea. He looked like he was Real Madrid bound in 2015. He's been there a long time, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Real Madrid were on the lookout for a goalkeeper to replace Ica Casillas. De Gea was actually dropped for Man United's matches leading up to deadline day, which all but confirmed he was going. Yeah. What people also forgot is that Kayla Navas was expected to come the same way. But when the fax machine broke, nobody went anywhere. So Kayla Navas was going to go to Man United. Yeah. Three years later, Madrid signed Courtois from Chelsea, which they may not have done if David De Gea wasn't there. Bit of a jump there, bit of a stretch, but we're going with it. Courtois most memorably, uh, obviously, was in that 2022 Champions League final, in which he made nine saves, which were worth a total of 2.5 xG. So would De Gea have made those same saves? I don't think he does. I don't either. That was a one-of-one performance, man. That was... In the Champions League final, man of the match being a goalkeeper. Yeah. Yikes. He's, Courtois is a very, very special goalkeeper in the fact that like every attribute attribute that you'd love to have now in a goalkeeper. Because I think sometimes these goalkeepers are, uh, are a bit, are becoming a, a little bit slight and yeah. he's still like, he's a he, monster. He is almost like the, the prototype what goalkeepers were. He is yeah. the best at that, I like. But if you're talking like in terms of ball playing and the Neuers, the Testagans, those are kind of the modern day. I look at it in terms of classic goalkeepers. Mm. He is the number one for yeah. me, and he's shown that over time. Mm. Premier League, Real Madrid, since he's gone, he's gone up another level, I feel like, when I never thought. But the De Gea situation, I remember, was such a funny one at the time because you almost didn't believe that it was real, that a fax, fax machine, machine is Come what on. ended it. And then I remember... When the Ronaldo, is it still fax machines now? I, I believe at Old Trafford, it probably is. After the Ronaldo interview last year, when <laughs> he said the gym is still the same, the the, <laughs> yeah, the kitchens the are still the same, the start, the fax machine is probably Maybe. still there. I'd love to know if that is the like. Surely, surely something has has to have moved forward. That's what's interesting as well in terms of that. Like to the deadline. Yeah. Like the deadline's not the deadline anymore. Like you still got an hour and a half after that if it doesn't work out. Like yeah. you just got to get something across in time, and then you Paperwork. can figure it out afterwards. That's a bit of a shame as well. I think it's. I mean, it is a madness, really, that yeah. that it gets to that point. But I think there is there's something in that just in civilization that you won't. It's negotiations, isn't it? Like if you have that, you know, that hard line of that deadline, that's going to lead to people. Panicking, spending, yeah, spending 100%. that little bit more, revealing the truth of like, you know, how much situation. Yeah, yeah. Like you must have that like these days where people go, oh, we can give you this. And, you know, it's not that <laughs> but it's probably not what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, it's just it's just <laughs> a game of chicken, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the cards get revealed on deadline. Day. Deadline day, there's no more hiding place, if that makes sense. I so. had that recently in a thing, a job that I wasn't like too bothered about doing mm-hmm. so i just went all i had was was the power of going yeah i'm happy not to do this and they kind of went ask for this <laughs> and they went oh we can go there i go no no ask for yeah that. <laughs> and they went yeah in the end we got there guys yeah we got there Come we got on. there, we got there. <laughs> <laughs> happy days right <laughs> anyway be happy for me good guys, negotiating tactics there yeah so uh yeah david what i would say would he have lasted long enough there? I think I they think, still sign. I think, I think no, still I think I think they don't. I actually don't think they do. I think he, if he went there at that time, that was when De Gea's stock was still very high. I think his maybe over the past couple of years, the gaffes have started to become a little bit more. He's United had a funny, have been bad. Funny career, isn't it? It's he? almost like I've said he's had equally amount as good years as he had bad years. If that yeah. makes sense. I remember like the first year or two, he looked a bit shaky. But then his last three years as well have kind of looked a little bit iffy. Even though last season he got the Golden Glove, and you would say the defensive good. Felt odd, didn't it? Don't don't you can't trick me. My eyes my eyes see what they see. Trust. Yeah, me. and in big games as well. I mean that the uh, Europa League last year, yeah. just something wasn't right there. They, he's never really you know he's never been the main man for Spain either. No. They've never like I mean they've had a lot of good goalkeepers, but he's never been been no. the guy. Saida Berahino, his Twitter rant. Saida Berahino's Twitter rant robbed England of a great striker. On deadline day, whilst heavily linked with Tottenham, it looked like West Brom were very reluctant to let Berahino go. 
So he tweeted a prickly, cryptic message of everyone waiting once again for the silly little spoilt boy to make the same mistake. So here you go. Wow, that age fell. Good night all and thanks for the support. Especially a dig at the people who were having a go at him for trying to force a move. These Twitter outbursts really shined a light on the type of character he was. Well, in time, again, it certainly aged into that. And he was ultimately, uh, ultimately meant that Tottenham were put off. Do you remember that time? I remember that very clearly. I remember at the time he was actually almost he was like good. hot property. Yeah, like. I think we were prospect. in the Premier League and he played against us. And I was like, he reminded me of Ian Wright. But I also remember thinking he should probably stay there for another year or so, really get his teeth into the Premier League. But when the Tottenham move came around, I guess he probably thought, Do you know what, jump up. Yeah. Nice, let me I move think to he, London. You can never have a go at people for taking those 100%. moves. Like, he might not come round again. But my thing is, is the manner which you go about it is very, I think, shaky. And I think how we came back from that was even worse. And I think that showed a lot more than anything because when he came back, I don't think he wanted to play really and truly in the squad. Was sold to Stoke very soon after. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard Jermaine Pennant talk about uh, him at Stoke. I think it's... Oh, no, sorry, Glenn Johnson. Yeah. He was a talk sport guy. And, like, he's like, he was... What did he say? He was just like, he just didn't care. He wasn't bothered. He didn't and turn up. He was late on purpose. He was difficult on purpose. Yeah. All of those things. I heard about like some... some train. Um, clothing incident on match day or something like that right. where everybody got told to turn up in tracksuit and he didn't or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was just like, it just it almost gave you a precursor of what his career was to be, if that makes sense, or what's to come. And I just thought, I'm glad we actually dodged that bullet, if that makes sense. I know at the time we thought maybe, oh, Jermaine Defoe's replacement. Mm. Nah, not quite. Yeah, I, th- it, like, you, I heard this phrase the other day and I'm going to say it, I don't think it's right because I was thinking it just then. It was something like, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a good example of that. Where, like, he was at Sheffield. I saw him score a hat trick actually two seasons ago for Sheffield Wednesday. I was doing this thing with Stephen Tries. Yeah. And uh, hold on, is that very enough? Yeah. And was, <laughs> yeah. They won six nil. They beat Plymouth. who went up the year after. No, no, sorry, Cambridge United. Yeah. Uh, but he was good. Uh, like, he, obviously, there was a player there, but he couldn't sort of behave himself long enough. And I think that gets forgotten. Like, it's you know you get he'll get called a bad egg, and I kind of don't want to do that. But in terms of the the What's necessary to be an elite player, striker? I think, yeah, I it's think a high bar. That's so true. To sometimes it's almost lazy analysis or easy to just class a player as a bad egg. I think that just highlights the mentality. We've seen that with Deli Ali recently, yeah. haven't we? Right. I think it shows the mental side of the game, though, how important that is. And even you touch on the Deli Ali situation, the mental side of the game again, mm. where sometimes people have the ability or they have the physical traits, but you see that consistency that longevity the the pressures that come with winning the pressures that come with expectations yeah. you're Especially gonna have as a striker to, right? as a striker as a uh, even as an attacking midfielder if you like Dele Ali was a goal getter but all of these things are going to have an effect on you and it's how you kind of bounce back and how you're equipped to kind of handle that I yeah. think Berahino just kind of showed in that moment he wasn't well equipped and then you hope in those types of situations when people aren't well equipped they have the support system around them but who knows I think you know kicking off your career and being, you know, an exciting asset that people are talking about at a young age is really, really difficult. Like, and we've seen that, you know, a lot of people talking about, say, Gift Orban at the moment, sort of he's the new wonder kid. And you've seen this so many times. And actually, I think with this new desire to get the guy young, yeah, before, you know, whilst there's, when there's a bit of heat around them, you go and get that, that player. But to remember, you know, it's two guys, in their thirties, despite what SDS is saying, it's not you're not you're not in your forties yet, mate. Neither am I, by the way. Um, being twenty two, like that is so young. Like people, you don't realize, and I hated hearing it at the time. When you're twenty two, you know nothing. No, like you know nothing. But you think you know everything. But you think you know yeah. everything exactly. And you think you know everything, and I think w- what we forget is sometimes how hard it is not to let those kind of comments get to you. Because I'm telling you now, at eighteen, if someone told me I had a good haircut for two weeks, I'm bouncing. So imagine if you're getting told you are a top talent, you yeah, are going yeah, right yeah. to the top, you're going to be an England international, you're going to earn millions in your career. After hearing that for about a year or so, you're going to actually start believing. It. And I think that's where earlier on we were touching about sometimes it kills the hunger. Yeah. And I think once you think you're untouchable and you think it's forever. And once that hunger goes, one of the hardest things to get back, ask anybody 
is to get that motivation and that hunger again. You really have to tap in. And that's where, again, it comes down to the mental. Yeah, totally. And I think that's why, do you know, the players that go on loan and have those games, that's why I talk about games all the time, because you have to have enough games. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, like, I know he's gone on loan a few times. He's probably had enough games overall. Yeah. But he didn't do it. Like, Conor Gallagher will be fine in his career. Brennan Johnson will be fine in his career because he went off and had those games and understood what that's like. Ollie Watkins is a great example as well. Like having those games means that at the, maybe games at a lower level is it's worth the time mm-hmm. because you then kind of have an understanding of being grateful for kind of where you are. And that alleviates, I think, a lot of pressure. Yeah. I think for him, he thought he was it. And it, obviously everything else after that felt like a bit of a come down. Yeah. And yeah, I don't really know where he is right now. I was surprised Sheffield Wednesday didn't keep a hold of him, to be honest, because he actually did score quite a few goals. Yeah. Um, Kai, could you just find out where he is? Not literally, like, you know, <laughs> club. Um, but there are a lot of players there. And actually, there's going to be, of all these youngsters, say, at Chelsea, there's going to be three or four, maybe more, that just don't make it, aren't up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for whatever reason that mm. might be. Right, let's keep on moving. Now, here's the, here's the one we teased. This is crazy. Chelsea and Liverpool go mad in 2011. 2011 deadline day is what got Brendan Rodgers the sack in 2015 even though he didn't get the Liverpool job until 2012. So Chelsea signed Torres for 50 million right. on deadline day in January 2011. And that was the worst thing to ever happen to Brodge. That's Brendan Rodgers. Torres' departure meant that Liverpool needed strikers as soon as possible. And who did they bring in? Can you remember? Liverpool? Two strikers. Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll and... Christian Benteke. Nope, Luis Suarez. Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. Side yes, by yes. side. Best described as mixed, mixed success, mm-hmm. if you want to be nice. Yeah. The ripple effect of Suarez joining is that Brendan Rodgers found himself with a world-class striker, and that meant that Liverpool were far better than they should have been in 2013-14, and they mounted a title challenge despite conceding 50 goals that season. SAS. Yeah. 23 more than Chelsea, who finished third. But Suarez raised the level so much that it meant that it could only be downhill from there if he left. And he did leave. That's my camera, by the way. That's why I keep looking over there. He's <laughs> like, why is he looking to the corner <laughs> of the wall? He's looking at the screen. Um, but Suarez uh, raised the levels so much that it meant that it could only be downhill from there, as I said. Yeah. You've heard of being a victim of your own success. Well, Brodge was a victim of Suarez's success and it bit him in the arse. Haven't it? That's an interesting ripple. Now, I like that. That's actually, I hear it. I hear it. I hear it fully because if that Suarez deal doesn't happen, obviously, because of the Torres departure, then that standard doesn't get set in 13-14 because I don't even think anybody was expecting Liverpool to compete for the title that year. But it was just purely because their front line was so good. It was, we will concede as many goals as we can because we know we can outscore. Yeah, it was. It was fun, wasn't it? It was so fun to watch. I think, okay, a couple of things here. So first of all, say you don't sell Torres. You've still got him to sell and you sell him in the summer. Could you have got 50 million for him, do you think? Yes. You think you still could have got I around, think, I think around, Torres, that, around Torres at Liverpool? I think even in that last year, he still looked decent. I yeah. Think you saw the knock on effect at Chelsea, but I don't know. I just felt like I, I always blame Rafa Benitez for Torres. I say Rafa Benitez wore him down. Right. At times, there was moments where he was injured and felt like I can't remember if it was hamstring injuries or knee injuries, but it always felt like he was forcing him to play through those injuries. And you saw by the time he got to Chelsea, that was a broken man. And I think we touched on earlier, sometimes you get players who break through at 16, 17. Sometimes by the time they're 27, 28, those guys are, games-wise, they've played like 400, 500 games in their career. So they're almost a flat battery, if you like. So We did a podcast uh, with uh, Nima, who's actually now on the Euro show, which is like a catch-up show on, on my channel, and he's fantastic. And he was talking about Romelu Lukaku. He was saying, people forget, like... There's a guy who's, you know, this sort of durable target man. I know he's not talking about, but you get what I mean. Like, at the age of 16, yeah. he's got to carry that body around for a long, long time. A so long maybe he has time. just fallen back a little bit. So you still get 50 million. So this is interesting. So Kenny Dalglish was the manager. You say you'd brought in Andy Carroll. You kept Torres. The rest of that season was much of a muchness anyway. I think they got to an FA Cup final. I think Carroll actually nearly scores a goal in that game. But they lose it. I'm trying to remember who they lose it to. I want to say Chelsea. But 
if they just hung on to that summer, first of all, does Brendan Rodgers get the job? Or do they stick with Kenny? It probably does. Probably does still get it. Yeah, I think And if does. he does get it, the next question is, do you still get Luis Suarez? Or have you missed your moment to get him? He wasn't that big. He was uh, Ajax, wasn't he? Ajax, yeah. He was, he was literally on that trajectory where the next big move was going to happen for him. I think Liverpool, if anything, got ahead of the curve in yeah, getting him in January. Absolutely. I think the summer he would have probably been lined up for other moves maybe. But I think Liverpool would have definitely been in the front runners. Brendan Rodgers was doing good things at Swansea as well. So his, I think, next step would have either been a Spurs or a Liverpool, if you like. So I think both moves would have eventually happened. But I don't know if the... I think the Torres sale just kind of sped up the process if you like yeah but i mean it's a good it's a good signing so you can't and so actually the real problem here is not him mm -hmm. it's the other players around him that were consistently wrong and that's something gerard said numerous times where he's like you know we had three or four world-class players but as fergie used to always say you need eight yeah. really quality players and you can fill in the gaps a little bit there so it's it is true i think it is true because the drop-off Really, really hurt them. Yeah. And he was gone. And then Sterling had to play up front through the middle, and like he didn't, he didn't. I it think felt he like he didn't really want to be there. And he yeah. was so young as well. You're right. Then yeah, and uh, obviously Gerard was then starting to wane as well. That Suarez yeah. factor was a massive, massive one. Interesting, interesting. Speaking okay. of deadline days and Suarez, you remember the f was that was that on deadline day the forty million plus one. To what, Arsenal to, when they bid that oh, yeah, yeah. 40 million plus one plus pounds one pound. thinking it was activating a clause but in actual fact it was just to notify him yeah. that bid had come in <laughs> That's that, that is one funny. of the like almost slapstick moments of deadline day well that was and again like you talk about periods of difficulty yeah. and so Tottenham it was it, it, the last couple of years it kind of felt like that weirdly mm -hmm. that Arsenal period before that so we'll talk about Ozil now. Ozil to Arsenal is what got Arsene Wenger and Unai Emery sacked. Yeah. Staying with Meza Ozil, did his trans so did his transfer get Wenger sacked? Ozil's signing was really exciting at the time, as we were spoken about. You know, everyone's buzzing about it because I think it was at a time where this is the problem with sort of spending and overspending yeah. and not spending. There was a period where Arsenal just weren't spending enough, and everyone's just screaming, the "Trophy drought years, spend!" Yeah, because yeah. you've only signed Petr Cech at this point. And so Ozil signing was really exciting at the time and he performed well in the first few seasons. I think he's also subject to... Ozil now might, might be a much more loved player. Ozil now in Arteta's system is frightening, isn't he? He would be cooking. They would be There's saying, so many oh, players like Martin that. who they would be saying. Yeah. I'm telling you. Wow. But there was a lot of players that have sort of, uh, been hurt by that time, when they were though, playing. You've you got to think, coming from Real Madrid... Yeah, I know it's almost like a Real Madrid castaway, if you like. But, but he the was numbers he was doing yeah. there, Jose loved him. Ramos, Ronaldo, everybody said he was one of the favourite players they played with. So getting him at the time, honestly, I remember they went through a number of years of the Shamax, Yaya Sunogos, and getting Rosicki on a free. And as a Spurs fan, we were almost like kind of closing the gap a little yeah, bit. It was yeah, like, sure. oh, look at these guys. They're falling off great. But when that Ozil signing happened, it was like, uh oh, oh no. <laughs> they, they they still got some Pulled juice trigger, left. And then yeah. I remember, I think it was the next year they got Sanchez. And I remember that's when the FA Cup started coming in. And I said, yeah, yeah, they're still they're still knocking around still. Yeah. <laughs> so there was. Yeah. we And we've done a podcast with Joe Tomlinson talking about the. the oh, interestingly, we were talking about the death of the number 10. But the number 10 seems to be Reviving. making his way back around. It all comes around so quickly. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, NC Sun. <laughs> um, during this uh, so during this time there came questions about Ozil and how much he runs which we yeah. were talking about then because we actually spoke about him because uh, he just retired and during the time there was also the, the Wenger in Wenger out debate mm -hmm. which was just huge Fun. Yeah, about, yeah. <laughs> so the Wenger debate and the Ozil debate were both going on. Uh, the Wenger debate already crafted, created sorry, a rift between groups of Arsenal fans, but the Ozil debate ha was the seasoning on top of, that made the whole fan base divide even further. And you've kind of seen that with Havertz a little yeah. bit at the moment. It's going to be interesting to see how that progresses. And who knows, uh, but maybe if that debate wasn't happening, it could have been very different. This row also spilled over into Emery's time at the club. And made his time in charge difficult with all the attention going towards Ozil not playing. And actually, interestingly, say someone like so. At, I think your your sort of gravitas, your power as managers, 
can often be very important and it needs to align with where the club's at. Yeah. So with Ange has got that, right, with Tottenham, um, but the expectations coming down is also really helpful as well. With Emery at Villa, the difference between him at Villa and him at Arsenal is so huge because of what he went off and did, but also yeah. Villa fans are like, wow, we've got ourselves a really good manager now. But Coutinho is in that squad and Coutinho has become far less important because Emery had the power to do what he wanted to do. Absolutely. But you did feel like Emery at Arsenal, it was such a gear change from Wenger and his style of play to, to Emery. Yeah. And Ozil, there was a problem with that as well. So that deadline day I, signing hurt. I hurt agree that he got Unai sacked, but I don't think he got Wenger sacked. I agree. I, I agree. I, I think Unai definitely, it was almost like, it was a Wenger's death sentence to the next manager is how I like to look at it. Because you could have almost let him go, cut ties and said, you know, a new era is going to begin after me or whatever. But instead you shackled him to that new deal. Now the next manager's left to deal with that problem. But I It was think, the new deal, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it was, was the new deal. It was deal the that new really deal that pretty much bombed everything. And I think had Ozil left at that point with Wenger, he would have been looked back as like, Thank you for coming and ending our drought. You gave us a couple of FA Cups. We remembered you as like a nice luxury player. But I feel like that, those Unai years really soured the relationship. Mm. And it made Unai kind of look a little bit inept. When If you look at his record before that with Sevilla, you look at his record after that, very clean, which is why I think he's been able to come into Villa with a real puffy chest. He's earned it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And he's still saying good evening. And I love that, I man. I love that he's still doing that. Yeah, you say, you say, you same. be polite. Yeah. Unai, you be polite. But like, sorry. And I love it. Your... I love it when I remember initially when he, the, it got back to him that it was almost being taken as like a joke yeah. and kind of meme. He really took it as like a, no, guys, I'm just being polite. Please just. Uh, and I was like, mate, you ain't got to explain yourself. Just nah. be you, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying. Well, I like this comeback <laughs> round for sure. Again, interesting. I, I think there's. There's been so many examples recently of like, you know, Kane as well. Yeah. And again, it's, it's early days of that. But like, there's a lot of players you kind of just got to let them go. And it's it's okay. I think, it, look, th- say Mohamed Salah, there's obviously the talk about him. There's going to have to be a moment where you, we will have to go. Like, I know he's awesome. I know he's awesome. But you kind of, it can be better sometimes just to get that kind of is now the clarity time and fresh up. No, it's not. <laughs> no, in the summer. In the summer, it probably is. Because yeah. at some point, like... Again, if you you've got to be annoyingly sensible sometimes to kind of run your club properly, and that yeah. means, again, another podcast we did, Ali Maxwell was talking about. He said selling players is good, and I was like, then the top teams you kind of often kind of go, well, no, we kind of need to give him. And Özil got signed that deal because they were like, we can't let him go. Yeah, absolutely. Should have let him go. Fear of fear not of, losing, having, of not having big yeah. stars, absolutely. right? Absolutely. But that, like, it's always in a state of flow, isn't it? Players will move on. Right. uh, You are listening to The Ripple Effect. After this break, we're going to talk about this deadline day on its way and some of the ripple effects that could occur. Stick around. It's a bit like Love Island where the guys, he's tried it with this one and this one and this one. And so he's going, no, I generally really fancy you. And it's like, she's like, do you? Robertson. Yeah. I think last year he... Had numbers and assist wise, but I think if you looked at it on the pitch, I think defensively sometimes he's definitely getting cooked. Okay, guys, it's 2023. Deadline day is approaching, and we're always in the hope there's going to be utter chaos. That's what we would like, and it could be. It's been, if you actually, you know, this happens a lot in in life. Like you in the moment, you're kind of like, oh, is anything going? Or you get to the end of it and go, oh, that was that's, I'm all right. Like, mm-hmm. Everything's a bit calm. Yeah, yeah. This has been a mad transfer window, like with that Saudi influence. This has been an incredibly Chaos. unique one. The Mbappe stuff. Yeah. Some of the players that have gone over there, it's it's incredible. And it's... Uh, we have got one ripple effect that we'll kind of get to with that. But it mm-hmm. has been an amazing transfer window. So much change in so many teams that have had to make so many changes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, again, there's probably a video in this one, but there's like who's you know who's really ticked every box so far. I'm not sure if anyone totally has yet. I think that's the one thing with this window. There's been a lot of activity, but I don't know if I can look at anyone's window and say, yeah, you've 
had the perfect window. I think I I do like Newcastle's window. I'm not going to lie to you. I think what they needed was a bit extra quality midfield. They got that in Tonali. Some extra depth. He's been great. Yeah. George, what great example of like, understand your surroundings. Because you put him at St. James's Park and you're like, woof. Like, I can feel that crowd from here. Like, they yeah. must be love it when he's, uh, and I know you love a tackle. Oh, so he's listen, like, he's in munching straight people. Away. People always say, oh, he's a new Pirlo. That's, that's Gattuso and yeah, Pirlo mashed together, not, I'm yeah, telling yeah. you. He's he Rossi, isn't he? Yeah. Um, Harvey Barnes, and then I think the fullback covers with Lewis Hall and, and Livermore. Gordon's looking good as well. And Gordon's looking really good. Exciting. So I think the way they've incrementally just kind of, Every window made small changes, but those small changes are actually big changes. Yeah. Like we didn't see the benefit of Isaac the whole first half of the season when they spent seventy-two million. Was it second I half heard of the him season? Talk the other day, someone uh, I kept getting added in the tweet saying, "Hey, Fuad, he sounds just like you." I said, "I don't know if you saw." There's a picture one time I posted of me with a shaved head. A little bit like him. I was just thinking that. So I was just so there was a picture of me when I picked up my player of the year for my old club. That's all I can it's say. Shaved head. <laughs> Shade beard and everyone's just like, hold on, that's Isaac. Wow. And then when this video came out, it was like, no, it's undeniable. No, it's him. That's I said, amazing. I'm not going to beat you with this new yeah, yeah, top now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you oh, like him. That's but, no. but I yeah. think they've had a good win. I think another thing, just outside the Premier League, I think AC Milan is one that I really like what they've done with um, the Tonali sale, if you like, linking that to the Newcastle, actually. They had 70 million and essentially, I think, Chukwesi, Pulisic, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, Okafor up front, they've added depth. Like, oh, They've addressed so many areas of the pitch with just that one funding. Mm. That's what I call almost good business. And already into yeah. the first couple of games, you're kind of seeing benefits from that. I think they won on the weekend as well. So I need to do a podcast on Galatasaray just to kind of like help swap up. Because like, what's going on there? I don't know. One. I need to find... If anyone knows a, a, a you know Turkish league expert, I would or a Galatasaray expert... Lives around London. Yeah, that would uh, Icardi, be good to know. Zaha, loads of yeah. Them, like, the, I mad. saw their window and I was like, "What the hell's going yeah. on?" Yeah, Bournemouth. I want to chuck in there as well. I like. I think it will. Bournemouth are going to be absolutely fine. They bought a lot of good Talk players. Because I, I, I said this as well. Um, at the start of the season, I think I was one of the f- only few people that said that I don't have them fighting relegation. I've got them as the overachievers, if you like this year. Yeah, I've got yeah. them finishing between kind of ten and twelve. I said, I look at Senezi. I look at Zebeni and um, Kirkes. Anybody who plays FM you know they're wonder kids. So, FM's rarely wrong. Hamari, Traore and Utara out wide. You've got Solanke. Solanke. You've got quality and goals in there. And I feel like in midfield, you've got Billing. You've got Rothwell. You've got kind of guys who understand the league. Alex Scott's kind of, a player. Alex Scott is another kind of gem that they've just brought in. I'm like, I think a lot of people are sleeping on this Bournemouth team, but where you kind of... Totally. I mean, I completely agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Utara, I really like as a player as well. I think again uh, Tom Jordan who's got a great Bournemouth channel called Back of the Net yeah. he's on the narrative uh, each week for us and he's fantastic and he, he we were saying in terms of dream signing he was saying um, uh, spoiler alert he was saying Callum Wilson could you get Callum Wilson back as a dream and I was saying in January if he's still annoyed you know maybe you could do that but what he was really saying was that uh, Solanke could do with a little bit more competition through the middle but still there's always a weakness somewhere but I really yeah. like Solanke a lot I've always kind of you know, stuck by him. Uh, He's someone who I think my opinion on him has changed a lot. I think when he was like coming through Chelsea, it was like, oh, he's a typical Chelsea kid. They all hyped him up coming out of Cobham and then went to Won Liverpool. Won the World Cup, didn't, didn't he? Really, well, he was yeah. the main man there. Yeah, but then when he went to Liverpool, didn't really work out. Went to Bournemouth initially. I remember with that season, they got relegated. He didn't really perform. But then, similar to Jack Grealish, when he went to the Championship, he almost used it as an opportunity to really sharpen his tools and That's he's it. come back into the Premier League honestly I'm like a different player similar to like Mitrovic when he went down to the Championship I think, comes back up yeah. and just two things like success isn't linear secondly it's the players sometimes it's the players around you and you need to sort of suit the system that's there as well I I, one of my regrets last year was kind of go. Everyone's like Fulham, Bournemouth, bottom two. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that, but I did. But I, the year before, I'd gone with my gut, and uh, so this time I was like, I'm going to be really sensible, and I'm going to put those two there because I get it. I get why everyone was saying it. But Bournemouth in particular, I felt like they had a lot of players who previously had been 23 and under, let's say, and. They'd gone down. They'd had two years in in the championship, and they'd come back up, and they were men now. Yeah, and I. 
like we were saying before, and again, it sounds patronising, but 21 and 24 is massively different. 23 and 26 is massively Facts. different in your life. And so there's a lot of players that I was thinking, they'll come back and they'll be like, actually, wouldn't, no, no, this isn't going to go down like yeah, it did yeah. last time. And yeah, and, and I think Solanke's one of them because I think he's got everything. Yeah, I think he's got everything you need. Can he finish a little bit better? I think he needed that year in the championship to score loads of goals. Also works his nuts off. I think that's the thing, yeah. And go, yeah, I am. There's a, a different look in players' yes. eyes. Sometimes we go, no, I'm, I know I'm good I'm enough a now. now. Yeah. I'm a killer now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I always use Eze as a, an example of that. Like, there's, I mean, Eze's probably not the best. Ilias Chair's a great example with us where there was like, he was sort of like, buzzing to be there then the next year he was like okay I'm here next year he was like I'm too good for this and that's you want to see that growth year on year that growth, almost, yeah. yeah and I think you saw that I think I've seen that with Bournemouth and then you add the money they spent a lot of money a lot of money yeah. so they better stay up really but I think you look at that squad and it's, it's miles better Max Aaron's as well another one where also keep an eye on players that spend too long in the under 21s for England it's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> Doesn't James Milner have like the record appearances <laughs> yeah, or something like things. that? Well, Look how long he's lasted. Sometimes it's just take it, it'll take a minute. Like yeah. Enketia is like, Enketia is definitely a Premier League player. He'll always be one that like eye test wise, you're a little bit frustrated by, but he does score goals, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That's why he's still there at Arsenal. There's a lot, a lot of those kind of players. Anyway, uh, Man United, let's talk about Man United and their midfielder hunt because they're not there yet, mm-hmm. are they? We kind of you thought they were kind of getting somewhere. But it's not totally feeling right. And no. they feel the same, actually. Still just a bit like... Lethargic. It's, can we get the ball to Rashford? Can we get the ball to Fernandes? Yeah. Like, too over-reliant on them. So here's a ripple for you. Man United's desperation for a midfielder could see them sell players for nothing in the last couple of days. Definitely got lots to do here, Man United. So it's well documented that the Harry Maguire transfer fee was going to be one of the financial drivers that allowed Man United to sign a midfielder that we all know they need this summer due to their FFP constraints. Another podcast that we did with Sam um, spoke about that before anyone was really talking about that, actually. But he didn't agree to a move to West Ham, probably because he wants his Man United wages. I think we know that for Mm -hmm. sure, to be honest, understandably, I guess. Another asset that they could sell is Scott McTominay. And interestingly, there's been very little rumours around him. I did hear one about Bayern Munich, but then I've heard that those Bayern Munich rumours... Yeah, those Bayern rumours are kind of calming down now. So is that because clubs know that the longer that they wait, the cheaper he could be? Mm-hmm. And is someone going to pull off an absolute steal here? How do you feel about those two players? What's what's a fair price for him? What's a uh, for those guys? What's a deadline day price for these? I think anywhere between a kind of 20, 30 million ballpark for both of them. I think if you, McTominay, I think maybe 20 million. Harry Maguire, I think looking at the experience, maybe you could say a 30 million. And, but I don't think you, teams are looking to pay that type of money. I think Harry Maguire, you look at his wages within that. I think Scott McTominay, he's probably maybe got ambitions to play somewhere bigger than, let's say, like a West Ham who's linked earlier within the window. But then... Yeah, well, how do you feel about him? Is he How good is he? I think West Ham would have been perfect for him. He, he, that midfield I is looking like strong. Him, him like and, now Rice gone, yeah, despite Rice going. Yeah, uh, now Edson Alvarez has come in, but before that, I thought it almost like for like profile-wise with Rice, maybe a little step down. But sure. yeah, I thought perfect, honestly. I'm mm. surprised that Bayern Munich are linked with him, and I'm worrying about Tuchel and what he's doing to Bayern because I've <laughs> yeah, always what? liked Bayern's business, but over the past 18 months, I'm just like, you're just taking anybody who you've essentially worked with or liked, yeah. essentially. And bizarrely, he's... Uh, so on our Euro show, yeah. um, Stefan was talking about him and he was saying... He's saying that Tuchel's saying, I, we need maybe two sixes. We've, we've got loads of eights. We need a six. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott McTominay's not the answer then, no. is he? Like, that's, he's literally coming like from a club who wants to get rid of him because yeah. he's not a six. Absolutely. He's more yeah. of like a box-to-box presser machine, if you like. But I don't think... I don't know where he ends up in all honesty. I've said mid-table Premier League club would be the ideal solution for him. How do... Because what I can see here Mm -hmm. is they aren't able to sell both of them. Maybe they're able to get rid of one of them. They're then therefore not able to get the midfielder that that they need. Amrabat, I think, has said that he's not going to train until September the 1st because he's trying to get the move done. Yeah. And obviously he's the one that they want. What does... That you know, football media, Man United fans, I can see this. Well, hang on. So when when do Man United play Liverpool? Is the question I want to ask. Because if they have not got their signing and they're not oh, cooking, 
it's that will start that will get a little bit ugly will it not yeah like there's a 100%. i can call the date now i'm going to call it now where is it so we've got so man united arsenal on the 3rd of september two days after the window closes two days after the window and yeah 16th of december liverpool at liverpool against man united you got man city on the 29th of october one of these games if they've not got that guy, they'll lose one of those ones. Yeah. And Genev, Roy Keane, Carragher. I mean, we've they're going, they're coming for them, aren't they? Yeah. We've needed a midfield the club for knew years. that. The club knew that. Yeah, they're going. There's going to be a meltdown. There is a meltdown incoming if they don't Rightly get it sorted so, out. Rightly so, because I think even with the United kind of recruitment, it's honestly up there frustrating with, I imagine, Spurs as well. Uh, there's some clubs who I look at and I'm like, I, I can relate to your frustrations. And with United, it's almost like you feel like they've got the name, they've got the money sometimes, but they just, the profiles that they go for are just so confusing sometimes. Yeah. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Like, you look at the United team now, is it a technical team? Is it a physical team? Well, they're is missing a, that player, aren't they? Yeah. and, and That I think could open the gates to a lot of that. Mount, Mount was supposed to be kind of the one that they could maybe bring in this year and convert him into an eight. But it's been three games and everyone just seems so quick to kind of write him off. I think eventually I agree. Mount will come good I'm and be very good that. as well. I agree. But I, I hope he's kind of just given the time to actually make that role his own. I think they definitely do need some cover. Amrabat would come in and offer a nice solution. Hey, listen, Hoiberg is available there as well. I've been hearing some links lately. He oh, wouldn't really? be a bad Premier League I said option. him for Liverpool last week, actually. I, I, I'm surprised clubs are not looking at him. And I think... His people, stock has people, gone... People, do you know what it is? So is people bad. are looking at it so like weird. he's not in the Spurs lineup or Spurs fans have wanted to get rid of it. I think Spurs have moved the need for him. We've got Benton Court and Basuma who are clearly better than him as a six and an eight. And the We've, six that he wants. The yeah. other guy's going to take a touch and with that first touch, beat him out. Yes, yeah. 100%. So, and then underneath them, you've got Skip and Saar who potentially I'd want to see develop them. So he's in this weird kind of middle yeah. predicament. I think clubs should take a gamble on it. Proving himself at international level, proving himself at Premier League level, Played in the Champions League of Bayern, won the treble with them. Leadership you, there as well. Leadership there. Yeah. He's got the experience. So for me, I think it's just it's a low risk move. 25, 30 million. I don't see a problem with that. I if guess, Amrabat doesn't happen. Again, when we talk about sixes and eights and things like that, that's the thing with Hoiberg is like say for Denmark, you know, he can be a bit he's a bit more sort of go where he wants because he's got Delaney there sitting yeah. there for him. So would he sit there and be that passer? Now I don't know. I, that, I think that's where the frustration for Spurs fans have been. Sometimes he's, he's been played in the eight role for us and we've asked him to so do what, a little bit So what would you more. say he is? I would say he's more of a six, but right. you have to, he's a six who wants to chase the ball a little bit. Okay. So you have to have someone who sits alongside him to cover, which is what you had with Bentoncourt last year and actually got the better so out Casemiro. of him. So someone like a Casemiro, they could work together. The problem is, is when you have him and Casemiro and you want to build out from the back, Neither one of those two are really great passes yeah. into that final third or willing passes, if you like. So that's where United fans, I think, are going to be very frustrated. Yeah. I see. Like, Endo, I quite liked on, on the weekend. I, I, I liked. I like his positioning. I like his sort of calmness on the ball. Kept it I can see Hoiberg do that same yeah. job, though. But again, then you've got two of the same. What's the point, really? Mm-hmm. Speaking of Liverpool, uh, that midfielder hunt, the win over Newcastle will mean that Liverpool don't get another midfielder this window. How often do we see a club pick a pick up a few wins and their transfers don't seem so urgent. Not saying that this is the case with Liverpool, but since that win, there have been a lot less midfield crisis shouts floating about. This could, uh, they could be running a massive risk if this is the case. If they don't sign anyone, it could drive fans pretty crazy. A similar kind of meltdown we're kind of talking about because they've flaunted the money that they have and not signing anyone with the 90 million left after the, the end of signing would be would be a little bit criminal. That is the problem that fans have, is that when, especially when we, when you know you've got the money, yeah. spend the money. 100%. Maybe not, it's not always the, the right thing to do. Um, yeah, where are you at with Liverpool? I think Liverpool, they need to spend, I feel like. Having let Fabinho and Henderson go, those are not just big losses for the players that they are, but I think characters in the dressing room as well. I think Endo, you're bringing in, and if he's going to be the only midfield signer, that's a lot of pressure on him. For a guy who was almost the... A lot of games as well, right? Yeah, a lot of games. For a guy who was almost a surprise candidate in the end, you've now got all of this pressure on you. I don't think that's really fair, even in my opinion. I think just to have someone to... I've heard a link with um, Turam, who I think is a quality midfielder. Is he a six, is the question. Manu Kone, another one as well they've been linked with. 
but one of those two I just feel like would be perfect just to give an extra body in yeah. there. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because they're kind of it's a bit like it's a bit like Love Island where the guys he's tried it with this one and this one and yeah. this one, and so he, he's going, "No, I generally really fancy you," and it's like she's like, "Do you?" Great analogy, honestly. Great <laughs> analogy. Just came to me that one. So I, I do wonder if there's something in. In, in dealing with something else, like I, I like Chiram as well. I think that I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong in that. Um, Arthur Tiat is oh. another player who could be a good option. I do think they need something to relieve that pressure on Trent as well. Like something doesn't totally feel right there. Maybe that's a, that was more a Matip thing. But in terms of his positioning there, it's just a really tough place to play right back. Like def- when you haven't got the ball, he is a right back for yes. them. And so that game against Newcastle. You don't have the safety of. He's been. He's basically playing. If if you're gonna have to defend in that position, you want Aaron Wan-Bissaka. You yeah. don't want Trent. Like he's a different player, but you. He's, but you, if, when you get the ball, you don't want Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Is, you want Trent. Yeah, so it's absolutely. Difficult. What has happened on that Liverpool right side is weird. Where you used to have Hendo on the right of that midfield, he would be able to slot in and cover yeah, when Trent yeah. and Salah combine. With Dominic coming in now, Dominic is actually almost like a right winger. Sure. He's happy to swap with Salah. But he doesn't swap with Trent, which kind of leaves when Trent goes forward, this acres of space. Point. And I think that's where Endo, maybe he starts kind of shifting to that a little bit more. But the right centre-back as well, I think Canate, that's where his mobility comes in a little bit handy. But even with that, there's a there's a little bit of a danger. Now, that role Endo's playing, you are sweeping that midfield. So you do want to go and sort of help Fill put out gaps. those fires. Yeah. yeah, but if you do watch the... So the goal or the red card must be the must be the red card. Mm-hmm. In that moment, Trent has Gordon and he lets him go inside because he's thinking, oh, okay, he's not coming yeah, straight yeah, at yeah, me yeah, then, yeah. and I'm I'm fine. And he thinks he will then be going into either Sabozlai or Endo's path. Endo is tracking Joe Linton. So he then that then leaves a massive space that he and allows him to play that pass. Mm-hmm. So again, it's great play from Newcastle. Joe Linton plays that sacrificial run, which is really important, uh, important for it. But where's Sabozlai? Sabozlai's out, or oh. he's either on his way back or he's out on the right yeah. for, for that exact reason. So something needs to be sort of fixed there against the better teams whilst also allowing you to have Trent, Sabozlai and Salah in yeah. the team. For me, that's the thing. That was my critique over the, the win was that they got down to 10 men and then they controlled the game. And that, I think they have to, it's more a, a Klopp thing here that they need to, control games a little bit better, yeah. especially away from home. I don't think they can be as hectic as they were. I think one thing Liverpool don't want this season is for this season to become like what we were saying earlier with the SAS year, where it's you score and we'll just score as many as we can as well type of thing. I think you want to be able to have that balance of having a lockdown defence. And I think sometimes I've seen Klopp tweak with a back three as well. I know teams are doing that a lot more nowadays. I think signing a player like Arthur Thea allows that a lot more. I think Robertson for me is one who honestly his decline is kind of going a little bit Robertson. under the radar. Yeah. I think last year he he had numbers in assist wise, but I think if you looked at it on the pitch, I think defensively sometimes he was definitely getting cooked. And I feel like this year he hasn't started great. Last game he gave the ball away a ton going forward. And I was just like Robertson doesn't look how he looked maybe two or three years ago. And I don't know whether it's age, confidence, the system I think he's being asked to play a different role, but I think that has had such a big impact on Liverpool because that wing back threat or the full back threat used to be so big, and now it's almost like we only highlight Trent's good or bad, but Robertson just never gets spoken about. And I'm like, if anything, he's been asked to do more of a defensive role in the three centre backs, and he doesn't do it very well, in my opinion. That's the sort of you know the double edged sword. The double edged sword of having McAllister and Sabozla instead of Wijnaldum and Henderson. Is that you can't, because with those guys you can go, and Fabinho as well, you can go, because it, it happens both ways. Like you say, Henderson used to cover for Trent, but also, like I was saying, Endo gets dragged across. If Robertson was up there and Endo had to go across that way, if you, Henderson would go, oh, I see, there's a space here, and Slot he drops in, there. in. it yeah. slots in there. So that's that's why they need more control. Yeah, that's why they 100%. need control for me. And it's uh, I, I'm sure Liverpool fans aren't comfortable with seeing McAllister in that sixth role. And I'm sure they don't knackered. want to see that. Yeah, I thought he looked knackered. You're and I get it. Like, it's of a it. lot of yeah, it's a lot of running because he's been playing for a team that what has control yeah. of football matches. So yeah, I think it's like we've done uh, we've done a whole podcast actually on Liverpool and how they could um, solve their issues. So that was last week's podcast. So go check that out. And an ultimate 
Ripple Effect le- 11 of uh, Liverpool. Ooh. So you can go check that out as well. Uh, so where are we? The Saudi League. Quick one on this because we've done a podcast on that as well. Done a podcast on everything, haven't we? Right. <laughs> Will the, right. Yeah. Will the Saudi League's endless pot of money mean that they can swoop in at the last minute and force clubs to sell at the worst possible time? This is so. This is the story of deadline day for me. So this could be a valid strategy by the Saudi League to not only get the best players in their league, but also decrease the quality of other leagues due to clubs not having the time to replace their stars. This, so this is the thing for me, right? To say no to that money is incredibly difficult when you've got time to think about it. When you haven't got time to think about it, I'm talking owners and players. Yeah. When they go, it's there. But it's it's there for that's there for ten minutes. You got yeah. ten minutes. You can have three hundred million. Yeah. That is that is incredibly powerful thing. I can see your heart racing as Do I'm you know what it is? It in your mind. I think it's a dangerous tactic, though, in terms of the longevity of the league relationships. Potentially, let's say you want to get involved in the Champions League, you don't want to rub every club in Europe up the wrong way. And I think to do it in a kind of typical, we're rich, here's money. Deadline day, accept it or leave it. But, type it, win, of but it wins. It and wins I get out. it. You might win in the short term, but in the long term, I don't know if it's going to give you the best reputation. And I think that's the whole point of the Saudi League spending this money is they want to improve their reputation. They want to increase right. the kind of quality of the game. Yeah. And the way you do that, I like, think is build good relationships. For me, I'm not saying, you know, be pally pallies with every club from Europe. But if, for example, on deadline day, they go to Liverpool and say, look, here's 300 million, Mo Salah, take it or leave it now. Liverpool's stupid if they say no, but it's a bit of a dirty tactic for me. I'm like, of course, of course it is. On. You, I think you're, you're, you are literally abusing the P- having money. <laughs> yeah, the PR element of it is really interesting, actually, because that say with Newcastle, they're they're doing it the right way. They say right, and and I think they are right. But you can do it the right way when you've got like, endless amounts of money, right? <laughs> but it, but they're still doing it the right yeah. way. So that deserves, you know, does deserve credit with that. And I think it allows the achievements to be more worthwhile when you yeah. do it that way as well. So they may take that longer term view to go and do that. I th- Someone's going. Someone's making some serious bank I, I on deadline so. day. I definitely think so. I don't think it will be someone like a Mo Salah but I think there will be almost like the alternative option, yeah. if you like. And someone's going to eat well. <laughs> yeah. Someone's going to eat well. Because I remember listening to Redman TV and they were talking about the, the Hendo money and they were saying that the thing is, the, the, the bottom line is, is you've got to take this money whilst it's here because they're not sure if it will be there forever. Same yeah. goes for the players as well. I think the, so. The, the clubs will take them. You know, like they might be pissed off, but they'll pissed, be pissed off with loads of money in their pocket. Like yeah, the money yeah, with yeah, fifty exactly. notes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just like uh, all roads lead to that for me. Yeah. I think. Uh, let's talk about Salah if he and if he goes to to wrap up here. So another ripple effect. Will Liverpool be forced to break the deadline? They've record fifty four million for Aubameyang to Arsenal back in the day. Uh, if Salah goes. So not only would Liverpool have no time at all to get a replacement in, they'd also come at a huge expense. It also means that not many options are there for Liverpool, but is there an obvious signing here? Jao Felix, could he be the answer? Probably not, but he is available. Mm -hmm. Another option could be Dybala, but his release clause of 10 million, which I didn't even know that happened with 10 million for clubs outside of Europe, is now expired following his new deal if Liverpool don't manage to get a replacement, it could mean that Ben uh, Doak, I think I always, say, I always want to say Doak, but I think it's Doak, is given a chance uh, in the first team regularly, which would also seem to become regular for Scotland, most probably. And I've heard uh, Elliot Anderson has uh, chosen Scotland, by the way. Mm. I'm quite excited about that. And just in time for the Euros, which they look like they could qualify for, touch word. So could Ben Doak win Scotland the Euros? <laughs> what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> is it an option? We went from Salah Saudi to Ben Dolgan. That's the ripple effect, people. That's the ripple effect. That is a real someone, ripple effect. Just get us out of the group, Ben. Just get us out of the bloody group, please. No hope for McTominay, nah? He's a goal scorer when he yeah, plays for yeah, Scotland yeah, as well, you know? Hey, McGinn will get your goal, my boy Lyndon Dykes as well. Oh, He'll be getting goals as well. Um, yeah, the, it would have to be serious money obviously, to, to let Salah go. I, I he has to go at some point. He is 31. I agree. I think, in all honesty, I think this should have been the summer they 
kind of cut ties and start fresh. But because you could have got, I, I put a tweet out when the, the story came out. I was like, "How much do you want?" They went two fifty. I was like, "They could pay that." Yeah, <laughs> they could. You just have to put the price out there and yeah. say, "Look, we want three hundred. They'll offer two fifty. <laughs> okay, so, so you're so let's I, do. I don't it. think it happens though. Say it was Harry Kane. Harry Kane's a similar age, right? He's got the same contract as Salah. It's this summer. Mm-hmm. They come in on deadline day and they offer you two fifty. Would you take it? I take it. I just took 86. Ah, ah, I take yeah, but, yeah, but it's different, wasn't it? But he's got a longer contract. A long, nah. For me, Harry Kane was priceless. Okay. I think, And I think that's how some Liverpool fans might look at Salah. What he's given them, the moments. And I think he almost feels like he needs to get back to that golden boot level, if you feel like he has unfinished business, which is why I don't think he will entertain a move and I don't think Liverpool will entertain yeah, it either. Sounds, but you as you know, said, yeah. the money though, the when money it gets though. offered to you, when you see that many zeros. Yeah. Well, that's, I just think there's, something's up. Something's up, people. And something's going to happen on deadline day. I think it could be one for the ages. Yeah. Um, but if you zoom out, don't zoom out too far because it's incredibly depressing. <laughs> right. Uh, Fuad. You are an amazing person. Thank you so much for Appreciate spending a couple of hours with me and chatting through all sorts. I would love to get you back on the podcast no, at some point. And if definitely. I can help you in any way, I would love to do that too. No, um, where can people find you and support you and listen to that lovely voice of yours? Uh, Fuad Kadani on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Stop and Shine TV podcast as well, and then SDS as well. I'm Love usually on there. Good stuff. Uh, Fuad, thank you so much once Always again. Me Guys, do me a favor. Follow the podcast. Let's keep this one moving. Life is good. We're getting very close to our 50th episode, which is insane to me. But every single one has been really, really enjoyable. And as I kind of said during the podcast, there's a lot there that you can go back and enjoy. So do exactly that. Give us a five-star rating as well or a review wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to watch this exclusively, you can do on Spotify. Thank you so much for listening. 